Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. J. Rowan, Bill Graham, and Michael Snydell decided to perfect their podcasting abilities in the most famous movie review podcast of all time. They chose the celebrated The Film Stage Show, where they would discuss Dario Argento's Suspiria. One day, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, they began their podcast and probably finished it sometime around 10 o'clock. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, movie review podcast from filmstage.com. Of course, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. And Bill Graham. (laughs) (laughs) And we are here today to talk about the film with the greatest score ever, Suspiria by Dario Argento, released in 1977, 41 years ago. Yeah. And we were, of course, talking about this as one of our classic reviews, but also as a sort of part one, because uh, eventually we will review the remake of Suspiria by Luca Guadagnino. And so now, this is the first time we've ever really done this. And I think this is a good idea. Because in all of the other podcasts where we talk about a remake, it's always like, did any of you guys see the original? <laughs> What'd you think of it? And now, we have a whole goddamn podcast that answers just that question. So I think this is something we should look into trying to do more often. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right, great. That's, that's as excited as Michael Snydell gets. Anyway, before we get into this that. Is, this is me in ecstasy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is legitimately thrilled by this idea, but cannot express any emotion. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the usual stuff. Find us on Twitter, at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, or you can give us a comment and rating. And, of course, you can email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com with any of your long-form thoughts and opinions. You can also talk to us on Slack by becoming a member of our Patreon page. By becoming a patron for as little as $1 an episode, you will get access to our Slack channel where you can talk to us, your preferential treatment in our lotteries or raffles or whatever we want to call them. And you get the satisfaction that comes with knowing that you are helping for us to create this podcast. So... Do that. Go to patreon.com slash the film stage show. Again, that is patreon.com slash the film stage show. In addition, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their beautiful, courageous, highly intelligent curators 
give you a brand new movie to watch that you then have 30 days to check out. That means that you have a constantly rotating selection of 30 films to choose from. Got some great stuff coming to Mubi in the next couple of days. So, first of all, Horrific October on Mubi continues with Kill List. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Has anyone seen yeah. Kill List? I have. Yeah. Did we like it? It's a fucked up movie. <laughs> Yeah, mostly. <laughs> mostly. It is a fucked up movie, mostly. This is by Ben Wheatley, who did High Rise. The copy reads, Breaking all the rules and boldly leaving behind conventions a lesser film may rigidly adhere to, Ben Wheatley and co-writer Amy Jump veer into violent horror with this, their sophomore feature, a spectacularly brutal, brilliant blend of a socio-realist and the surreal. Brace yourself for Kill List. Woo! Yeah. We've also got a classic Carol Reed film, Outcasts of the Islands. And in the latest special discovery, The Wolf House. This one gets points because um, the copy reads, With echoes of animation giants Jan Svankmeyer and the Quay Brothers. It's just, that's just like, that's, I should just yeah. stop right there. Like, that's all you need. What else do you need to know? Go watch this movie. But if you need to the know more, the picture looks like an actual version of like the Frank mask, like a character, you know, the the Fassbender film yeah. where he wears that paper mache mask. That's what the what the uh, the still reminds me of. <laughs> so this says this gothic Chilean oddity is as nightmarish as cinema gets, sinuously connecting Nazism and Pinochet. La Casa Lobo subverts the logic of fairy tales and the ideas of home to deliver phantasmagoric allegory of terrifying beauty. Phantasmagoric. If that's not enough to convince you, I don't know what is. If you would like a free 30-day trial of movie, all you gotta do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that's it. We're now ready to talk about Suspiria. Yeah, we are. Yeah. This, again, the 1977 version directed by Dario Argento and starring Jessica Harper, who's a uh, a bit of like a cult icon, I would say is the best way to put it. Um, okay. Yeah. And I, gotta, I have to put this out there. An astoundingly young Udo Kier. <laughs> yeah. And the last, uh, the last role ever from Joan Bennett, who apparently was lured out of retirement for this last role as uh, Madame Blanc. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie is pretty awesome. We're going to talk about it. Perhaps we will also talk about our histories with it. Since this is a classic review, I feel like we can just like dispense with the spoiler section and go full on all out. Um, before we do that, the usual thing that we try to do during these, um, especially when we're not going to have a spoiler section or if a movie is as crazy as this, gentlemen, should the people at home see this movie respond? Yes or no. Michael Snydell. Yeah. Bill Graham. Yes. And for me, a resounding yes. So here is the trailer. Roses are red. Violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of 
run from Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. All right. I love those kinds of trailers. Just you like, found a classic one, didn't you? I did. Like there was a remaster trailer that was going around. No, no, no. I, I found this year. I found a classic yeah. one because I just love that. I love like when the movies narration. used to be like openly antagonistic of you. Just like this I feel movie's like gonna fuck you up. That was fucking frightening. I'm yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> and you've already, already seen, seen the movie. Those. Yeah, I've already seen this fucking movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I feel like those are the type of trailers that uh, Edgar Wright's like fake trailer don't in Grindhouse were like totally alluding to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's so what we're here to talk about. Suspiria. Dario Argento. The master of the, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Gallo. I think it's Jello. You think it's Jello? Jello. Jello. I mean, you it makes sense. Jalo. It's Italian for yellow. <laughs> So giallo makes a lot of sense to me. So let's just go with that. That feels right to me. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Uh, the master of the giallo thriller. This one is a little more straight horror than giallo, but uh, it's still got some of the hallmarks and many people consider it to be one of those films. I'm sure we'll get into that as we go on. Let's just uh, let's dive right in and give our nutshell opinions of Suspiria, Michael Snydell. Oh, also, have you seen this before? Was this your first? Has anyone not seen this already? Was this your first time? This was my first time. Oh, Bill. Yes. That's why I wanted to see it. I had to see it before I saw fucking this this crazy Italian monster fucking try and make this into a three hour soiree. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, like almost a full hour longer. The remake is apparently. And, um. I don't know. I'm sure we'll have a shit ton to talk about when we actually see that movie. But yes. I, I will, yeah. Anyway, Michael Snydell, had you seen this before? Yeah, I was I was doing the math in my head. I th- it's been 12 or 13 years. I saw it on a – I think I've talked about this before on here. I can't remember. Everything blurs together. I saw it on a uh, 240p torrent um, that I downloaded <laughs> – and was not the way to watch this. But I did watch it at like three in the morning when I was just dead That's tired. The way to watch so it. that was the right way to t- watch it. But yeah. like it was very strange rewatching this recently and realizing like I, I think what's really interesting about this one, and, and this is I guess where I'll start, like I don't necessarily want to get into the conversation of whether this is Jalo or not. And like, man, people have some serious thoughts about that question. <laughs> but um I, I think that this is nonetheless interesting. Uh, not necessarily in terms of whether it's Jalo or not, but how oddly straightforward forward the narrative is in this despite being incredibly disorienting and being um seemingly hard to follow even though it's not necessarily uh, that way like i I guess what i mean is that like the there's a it's a pretty linear film like things very much happen and there's very much a lot that is, you know, going on right outside the frame that we're meant to wonder about. Mm-hmm. But what I like about this this film is, like, 
is Susie Abanyan played by uh, Jessica Harper. Like she figures out everything and there's not really like red herrings. There's not really like characters who are deluding her or anything. <laughs> like she's just following breadcrumbs. It would um, be, that this is given. like my, this is my favorite kind of horror movie. Cause like it would be very hard not to figure out everything <laughs> like, and th- this is going to sound like a knock, but like, this is, le- I legitimately love this movie and have loved it for how old am I now? Yeah, probably like 15 years. Um, <laughs> because this is one of those movies where it's like you, you, a person arrives at like a spooky, crazy old place where everyone's acting weird and is just constantly told things like, um, oh, yes, a girl left last night and then was horribly murdered. Uh, some psychopath gutted her like a fish. Anyway, everything's fine, though. And like, <laughs> it's, it's just it's like a constant never ending thing of like, well, we can't have rehearsal today. There's a dog like a, a, a like wolf loose in the thing and it's murdered seven students. But it's yeah. fine. Everything's going to be OK. Now I've told you everything. Everything is all right. It's just and everyone's just like, oh, all right. Well, yeah, that sounds about right. And it's just I love it. I love that and kind I, of stuff. I love, I love how she's like an American, so she just doesn't know what the fuck is going on. So I right. guess she's just she's just like, I guess this is how y'all do it in this country. Like, like weird ass is, Germans. Yeah, this is fucking weird. Like y'all aren't gonna call the cops or anything. Like what's going on here? Yeah, and it's yeah. just it's just an unending parade of like, oh, I was like best friends with a girl who was horribly murdered. I'm going to go investigate the mystery. And uh, like the person who should know better is like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. I'll help. It's like, <laughs> it, it's, the t- it's like the type of like nightmare logic that just like propels you forward and just sure. lets you know immediately, like this is going to be over the top as fuck. And you're going to love every second of it. Yeah, but it's, I, I think nightmare logic gets at something as well that I think is so interesting. I, again, about that weird balance between how it being a relatively straightforward story, but presented in the most like oblique way possible. Like you, you think about that literally the first murder that we see in the first, you know, uh, five minutes where the uh, the woman is is dropped through the stained glass window, mm-hmm. and just the way that that sequence is edited, and and the way it progresses from. It doesn't make like any spatial sense. No, like she's it's seemingly in a room and then in some type of like a, a roof. Yeah, I, I guess like a, a roof cleaning area to clean. The it's, like an, glass it's like an it's like an access area, and then she's on <laughs> sure. the the stained glass and falls through, and then you know by chance or by magic, um, a couple of shards impale her friend. <laughs> No, but like that—that that is the stuff that I do. I, I do kind of love about this that you know. It, again, like it is very different from something like Deep Red, which I do like Deep Red more. But but that's way more of a more understandable detective. What, what is what is Deep Red? Oh, it's another uh, Argento right. film. Yeah, okay. it's a, okay. it, but that's more that's more of a classic Giallo. But I, anyway, my my point being though that like I, I think what is so interesting about this film again is exactly what you're saying brian like the fact that oh this other character just randomly dies here or or you find out at one point that everyone went to the opera <laughs> without her and, and it's <laughs> it's it's that nightmare logic in the sense that like 
time doesn't really have a place until it needs to have a place. Yeah. Like uh, a, a characters exist until they don't exist. Like everything has a conspiratorial undertone that nonetheless doesn't really have anything to do with it. Like, like I, I had completely forgotten that she the, – the room is not ready for her. When she first goes there, so mm. she stays with this woman, Olga, for one night, and then she faints, and they move her uh, luggage. Like, right, because she's I, like, I think I want to stay out of this place. And they're like, oh, do you? I didn't realize you were so willful. And then <laughs> and then she she collapses, and they conspire to bring her in. But, yeah, it's, it's – it, it, so – I don't know it's what like it is. <laughs> it's like a perfunctory mechanism to yeah. get her where she needs to be. But it's also among a lot of other things, like even the production things, like Bill already mentioned that she's an American. And, you know, like I, at the time, I have to admit, I, I really didn't know about the Italian dubbing until it still doing a little bit of research. I wasn't aware that the reason why the dubbing happens is because there were so many different languages being spoken on set. There were you, so you many different Jessica languages Harper, being spoken and also apparently the italian film industry at that time just like didn't want to fuck with live audio yeah like they they, were basically like it's so much easier like we're gonna redub a bunch of shit anyway like why don't we just redub it all (laughs) yeah they swore by dubbing like over and over like yeah yeah, it seems like there's a real history there but like again that is just another thing that just makes this so strange and and adds to that logic like I, i i guess um I don't know. I I didn't find this quite as satisfying as I did last time. But I was thinking, I I, I guess what I would say is that in its in the way that it kind of uh, seesaws back and forth between like this almost omniscience and Jessica Harper uh, Harper's character and just how much it's about movement. I, I found this way more cathartic in trance-like than I, I did last time. And obviously I didn't watch it in the best circumstances. And there was an almost like, you know, <laughs> like alchemical feel to how I watched it previously. Like it was a cult film that I heard of that I had to watch a terrible torrent of. Like it was always <laughs> going to have some certain black magic to it. Well, that's, that's like, so the way I came to this film is, um, so I moved to Texas Right. And I'm, I'm like, uh, what was that? I was like 16 at the time. And so I got to, you know, come into this new school and then like my school in Texas, like every class was 800 people. Um, by class, I mean, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, not like history class. Um, so it was like, it was crazy. It was way too many people. And I was like, I got to find someone that I connect with real fast and just become their best (laughs) friend or else I'm going to drown here. And you know, Somehow, I, f- I found this guy, <laughs> Ricardo Mendoza, um, who I would come to know as Rico. And Rico was super into a lot of really crazy avant-garde shit. Um, <laughs> I'd been into movies for like three years, but I was still working my way through like the modern English language classics with the occasional dipping my toe into like Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. And when when Ricardo found out how much I loved movies. <laughs> he immediately could not stop talking about Suspiria to me. And I was like, dude, I've never seen it. He's like, Oh my God, you know, Dario Argento, uh, the Italian horror, you know, goblin does the soundtrack. And I was like, I don't know. That doesn't mean anything to me, but he's like, Oh, the soundtrack is so good. He like 
helped them to make it and played it during the production. He like knew everything about this movie. And so I was like, all right, Rico, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask for this movie for Christmas because I couldn't find it in Blockbuster. And at that time, oh, no. like there was no Netflix. <laughs> and so I told this part of the story earlier. Oh, I I wrote out a Christmas list. You know, my parents were like, give us a Christmas list of yours so that we can like buy your stuff for, from Santa. Um, <laughs> and I wrote Suspiria and they had no fucking idea what that could be. Um, but they knew that almost everything I had was a movie. And so they bought me Suspicion by Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> uh, so I didn't get to see Suspiria that Christmas. <laughs> it took a while. And um, yeah, the, like there's something about it. Like I feel like if you just like swung by this on Netflix and watched it, it wouldn't have the same impact as like someone telling you about it like it was some yeah. rare occult knowledge. And then you having to like go out and find it and watch it. It's it really is one of those kinds of movies. And yeah, I don't know. I like I, I watched it the first time and like everything Rico had told me about it did not prepare me for how truly bizarre it is. And I was just sitting there with like my mouth slack. Like, you know, they have the the opening narration, which I like ham fistedly worked us into for the opening of this. Hey, and I then, appreciated it. All right, thank you, Bill. Um <laughs> And and then you've got this woman walking through the airport and then every once in a while it just cuts to the door and the theme song yeah. is playing. And then it's just like everything is immediately wrong. And she's just still throwing herself into it. And you just kind of have to throw out like all your conceptions of like narrative logic and like relatable human characteristics and motivations and just accept it as like almost like a children's story. Where it's like, well, this has to happen or else there's no story. Like, it, <laughs> it's it's like a fairy tale nightmare. And it just, it it's not one of those movies that, like, teases you up until, like, the last, like, 12 seconds and, like, gives you something scary. Like, it's just off the bat, like, dark and stormy night. Horrifying yeah. theme music. A woman literally runs out of this place in a panic and this girl is still trying to get in. Yeah, is told like to go fighting, away and still fighting. comes back. It's um, it's crazy and it's awesome and like it, you just you if you don't give yourself over to it in those first few minutes, it's gonna drive you nuts. But if you like feel its wavelength and surf on its like narrative craziness, it's it's oh, it's so satisfying. I think it. I think it was weird. Speaking. Sorry. I. I, I will. This is my last thought. I, the last thought of going back to it. You know. I remembered most of the beats, and I remembered a, a lot of images, especially, obviously. But um, I, I think I was surprised how much of this is just kind of rising. Like I even remember that final showdown. You know, with the the coven after going through the secret door. I'd remember that being so much longer. Like it, it was just kind of weird. Oh, trust it's me. Not when a... when I was watching it, it felt real long. I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit, this is going on for a while." <laughs> yeah, like I I was scared of her because the longer it went on, the more I was just like, "Holy shit, is she just not <laughs> going to like turn around and get the fuck out of there?" Like, <laughs> like I, the way the way that I always think about these movies is is so practical. Where I'm just like, okay, there's a bunch of older women in there she's pretty fit she's like a ballerina and i'm like and then there's like a couple of like 
I, I don't I don't know, like people that aren't quite mentally there. And I'm like, I can outrun all these motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> so like, like I'm, I'm seeing all this <laughs> shit. Right. And I'm seeing some bad shit go down and they kind of notice where I am. And I'm like, nah, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to get the fuck out of here and I'm just going to run. But she never really does that. She just like backs up and then finds a doorway and she's like, Oh, let me go in here. It's like, no, that's where the fucking witch is. Of course that's where the witch is. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, what is she doing? But that's no, why I'm like, excited, Bill, because like I remember yeah. seeing this and 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 like I can I can it was like having a spell cast over me. Like I was just sitting there with my mouth on the floor the whole time and I can't really recall it with a lot of like heavy detail for my own personal experience. So it's going to be awesome having you who's never seen this before, sure. <laughs> because like you said, like I'm kind of with Michael. I'm like, this thing moves along at a pretty good clip. <laughs> I forgot that like the, the final showdown, like she's in there, she sees some bad shit, she goes in and like this would usually be like the last 30 minutes of a movie. And instead she just picks up some crystal plumage uh, from mm-hmm. a bird with some crystal plumage, which is a, you know, another Dario sure. Argento movie. And um, it's first first one. <laughs> yep. And and then she stabs a woman in the neck, gets the fuck out of there and the place explodes. And it's just mm-hmm. like, yep. That's it. And it. It's over. It, it explodes in a really satisfying way too. <laughs> and, I, and 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 I'm not I'm not saying that it, it lasts longer than what your kind of your second or third or fourth or whatever viewing this is. Um, I'm just saying, going through it the first time, you're you are just spellbound by it because honestly, like. I had heard so much coming into this about the Goblin um, music and, you know, soundtrack and, and the score and whatever you want to call that fucking thing. And I was like, I was like, oh, OK, yeah. And within like the first what, like five seconds, that score is going and you're just like, whoa, whoa, this is just going to be present throughout this entire fucking movie. <laughs> and it's just like, and at some point, like they say like, witch, and you're just like, witch. what? Like, like you can't say she, like, that hasn't during gotten, a movie about she, witches. She hasn't gotten to the school yet. And Goblin has already told you there's at least one witch. Yeah. I didn't even like, think about hey, that. Come on, man. <laughs> no, that's, that's what's one. That's like what that, that is something I remember. Cause I, I am used to, again, like, you know, even Scream, which starts off with like Drew Barrymore getting killed, like then has like a, a reset to the baseline and then going ramping up to like the final massacre. And this movie is just a constant massacre. And it's I just remember being like, this isn't how this is supposed to work. Like, yeah, the, the, it's it's always like this movie is constantly putting its nails on the chalkboard, like throughout the entire runtime. And you're just like, wait, 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 wait. Like, I need a chance to breathe and like and like get <laughs> situated. And then they're like, no, nah, we're going to we're going to all like uh, sleep inside the school on the bottom floor. And then you're going to hear like this raspy like voice and you're going to see a creature behind like the curtain like the silhouette and it's very clearly like something creepy and nobody is gonna fucking comment on it we're gonna put up we're gonna put up all these sheets and then when we turn the lights off they're gonna glow red yeah it's it's just that's fucking frightening this (laughs) movie we i don't think we've made a big enough deal about it this movie is goddamn gorgeous i not the way that i saw it but but 
I uh, aesthetically, yes. How did yes, you see absolutely. it? Absolutely. Uh, what, what Tubi? Was I saw it, it on Tubi. Tubi. Yeah, That's yeah. How I watched it too. It, it it didn't it didn't look that great, but uh, you know, I, I mean, look, this this movie is from the 1970s, like, uh, and Tubi is a free service, um, with like ads and stuff like that. So you know, let me tell I'm, you, Bill, it looked better than that torrent I saw. In- <laughs> <laughs> well, the 260p torrent the, the one below like the nintendo wii yeah i i think i think uh, probably it looks better <laughs> 240. look you were already going to be downloading it all like, night sta- you know you standard, couldn't standard definition is 480p <laughs> you're like over here half that i had <laughs> AOL for a long time but just, you don't even know just because it's so bright and colorful like you know that's still probably prettier than most movies that you would have seen even at, at full but it's, yeah, it's just like it, uh, tavoli the dp mm-hmm. and i think they did the um the classic like technicolor three die three strip yep yeah um, to like really yeah. make those those yeah. reds pop. Mm, it, it, the colors are are pretty bombastic in this film, um, especially the uh, the colors of, of blood. Jesus Christ! Um, none and then, you, none course, more red than the blood in this movie. <laughs> oh yes. Um, you know the the other thing that I found interesting doing just a, a tad bit of research before watching this film because or, or I I should say as I was playing the film I had to pause real quick and do some research which was troublesome because it was pl- it was like streaming off of my phone and I was like oh what the fuck is going on right now like and so it kept stopping and I was like why can't I do both at the same time <laughs> um, anyways uh. I did not realize that apparently – so th- this was commonplace at the time for Italian cinema and I guess uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, European cinema at the time. But all the characters speak their native tongue and mm-hmm. some of them were dubbed over for English and some of them are just not dubbed over at all. And so you get a lot of like mismatching of, of – you know, mouse to to voices and everything like that. And of course, uh, ADR really w- was a thing that they just basically were like, nah, we're just not going to capture any sound on set. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. We're yeah, all because it was like, just it was easy. They could move faster. It was easier. It was cheaper. But I mean, like for me, yeah, it, it, it looks weird. But I think that it looked the most weird when Udo Kier showed up mm-hmm. and starts it, his he just starts speaking like in a very stolid, stately, mid-Atlantic accent. And it's just mm. so weird because Udo Kier now doesn't speak English that well. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's got the heaviest German accent on Earth. If you, if no one knows who Udo Kier is, um, Brawl in Cell Block 99, he was the consigliere who mm. meets Vince, uh, <laughs> Vince Vaughn in, in the prison and gives him the news. Um, he he's also, had an amazing career. <laughs> he is quite a man. He was also, and, and he's he's the he's the blind guy in this. No, film, no, right? he's he's the doctor who she talks to, who then yeah. gotcha, tells gotcha, her gotcha, to talk gotcha. to a different professor in like the five minute long info dump. That's basically like, <laughs> oh yes, your your school was founded by a witch as a school of dance and witchcraft. Um, but then she disappeared, and they just stuck with the dance, and it's just like. What? 
<laughs> what what was the plan there? And the, it's and it's so weird. It's just like it's so it's so insane. And she's just like, huh? Wow, I never would have known that. And like, then just goes back to school. And yeah. like yeah. the the Udo Kier character, Doctor Frank Mandel, is like, you know, there's talk of witchcraft and everything, and blah blah blah. And then the, the and then he's like, maybe you should talk to Professor Malias. You know, he's he's got this book. Sure. Uh, and then and he's right there. <laughs> Professor Malias walks over and he's like, are you familiar with witches? And she, who has just presently learned about them, is like, why well, yes, I am. I've already assimilated that knowledge, and I'm ready for the next chapter. <laughs> I it's, have leveled up, sir. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so awesome. But like, yeah, for some reason, like this time, the dubbing didn't bother me as much until Udo Kier showed up because I was like, that's not how Udo Kier talks. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that scene uh, works. I, I, I think it is. I, I, I like. I don't want to. I don't want to nitpick here, but I, I do think it's interesting. I, I hadn't read at all about what this was inspired by. Are, are you guys? Did you guys look up at all uh, what the original um, *Suspiria de Profundis* was? Mm-mm. Oh, it's the uh, *Sigh from the Deep*. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a or *Sigh from the Depths*. Yeah, and it's a it's a uh, series of essays from uh, Thomas De, De Quincey in 1845, and they were like opium-induced <laughs> trances that he wrote about. I, but it also oh, has to do with, like... That the, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But also has to do with, like, this larger idea of the the three mothers, which apparently also became... This is part of a trilogy with uh, Inferno and uh, Blood of Our Mother or whatever it, it's called. But my point being, though, that, like, I, I think it is interesting... Um, that this is supposed to be based on such a uh, such a kind of like heady piece of philosophy, and it doesn't I, and like any type of density doesn't really show up here in anything other than like exposition. And looking forward to this new Suspiria, apparently, it, it apparently takes this this book much more seriously. It's a lot more grounded in philosophy and post war Germany and oh, that sounds a terrible. lot of like. <laughs> Oh, Brian. Uh, I know. And it's going to be another episode of me being unpopular. I guess uh, I, I think that that could be interesting, you know, especially because like you say, like the Suspiria de Profundis is like such a rich idea. And, you know, Dario Argento had this Three Mothers trilogy that sure. he wanted to do. And I think um, Mother of Tears is the 2007 oh, film, sorry. Yeah, which is the you. final one. Um, I have not seen that one. It has a 5.1 rating on IMDb. I think it it stars Asia. It does. It does star Asia. And that is, yes, Bill, out of 10. Um, I don't know. I I haven't seen a lot of his latter-day directorial efforts. Um, I didn't see Giallo from 2009, which I believe stars Adrian Brody. Yeah. Even though that sounds just like freaking amazing. Like, I don't know why I didn't do it. But I I've think heard very rough things, especially about his Dracula, which has an amazing GIF available online with a praying mantis. Okay, <laughs> that sounds awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's um, what was I going to say? It's one of those things that like it, it sounds cool, but I almost love like this craziness even more than that. Like, and I don't know, like this is one of those movies that like I don't care who 
would have directed it. Like Darren Aronofsky could have done it. Like, you know, Martin Scorsese could have done it. And I just would, I still would have been like, why do that? Why would you do that crazy thing? And to me, trying to bring in more philosophy or to ground it in any way, or like to make it mean more than like the horror show that it is. I don't know. It just seems like, it seems like like remaking Jaws and trying to make it about climate change, you know, like it's just, why not let it be? Why not let this strange thing be? Trying to be something very different, but yeah, you're right though. That like then, you're playing a game then by acknowledging that it's something very different, but then still taking the title and mm-hmm. influence. Like it's a, I guess it's something we'll obviously talk about when we can see how much it takes. But at least from what I understand, it's some, it's an entirely different animal, which is, I feel both better and worse about. <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to get us off track, but I still think it thought it was something worth acknowledging. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, you know, I'm going to, I have hope for the new Suspiria. I think it could be interesting, but like for some reason watching the, watching this movie again, this time just like catalyzed to me, like even if it's called Suspiria, it's not going to be Suspiria. And so like, it will only ever suffer in my head by comparison. So this is going to be one of those times where like, I really have to buckle down and like not look at it as a remake almost. Sure. You know, and that's going to be difficult because it's literally a remake of Suspiria. But, um, yeah, because, like, in, unless... You can do it, Brian. You can unless, do it. Like, I have faith. I almost feel like the best way to, like, remake this movie would be to, like, find some crazy animator and, like, tell him, like, you know, do this with puppets mm. or, like, do it in a cartoon or something. And, like, let's just... Oh, you mean, like, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Yeah, oh, God almost. damn it. <laughs> you know like just keep del toro from away far away from this <laughs> it's just gonna be so weird watching a suspiria that like isn't this colorful or isn't this like just again just immediately and consistently and constantly crazy like i want like an update of the scene where maggots start raining down on everyone you get this crazy like shift. It, it reminded me so much of Hereditary. Like when they go upstairs, I was like, "Don't open that box! Like, that's <laughs> a terrible fucking idea!" Like I know what's inside that box. It's it's a person without a head, <laughs> and it's just. But 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 apparently, it's just meat. Yeah. Like like they full on like go up there, and at one point they go up there, and like someone's like, "Don't let anybody else come up," and. So the camera like follows them and you don't really find anything out. And you're just like, well, yeah. that was a bunch of fucking nonsense. <laughs> well, what's cra- yeah. What's crazy is it, it's almost like, you know, you're expecting them to find like 12 dead students. Right. Yeah. But it's just yeah. this box full of rancid food. And and it's yeah. and, they, like, what? and they come down and they're like, you know, we buy all of our food in bulk from a, a very reputable supplier and we all, we've never had any trouble with them. We just assumed we'd take them at their word, but apparently they sent us this and we're going to rectify that with them. Um, and for now, everyone's going to sleep in the thing. And oh, isn't it just like, we'll have the fumigators in tomorrow. And it's just like, that's it. That's, that's yeah. the thing. Like, and then it's the same thing with the goddamn dog murdering the blind guy. It's just like, 
oh, did you hear that our piano player was murdered by his dog? It's like, well, you know, you can't trust those kinds of dogs. My family used to raise them. It's just like everyone is so blasé about all the crazy shit that's happening. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's just and Susie Banyan is like, wow, this is very strange. I'm going to keep drinking this wine and eating this food that is clearly knocking me out every night. So it's it's like a good and it's a bad thing that like we don't live in present day where this film comes out, right? Because in present day, I would very instantly have my answer of did he do – like was he so self-aware that he knew what he was doing in this where he made basically a film where nobody acts like a normal human and they're just going around bouncing off of these like crazy things that keep happening. And and yeah, like their attitude is blasé. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it, this film has been out for four decades now. So like someone's got to have asked like Dario at like point blank, like, oh, yeah. like w- was this intentional? You, like, you know do, these do people know? are crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, has he said anything about this? Like, do y'all know so, like, a little bit about like, like his intentions with this film, or like, is that still kind of a mystery? Well, that's that think- sort of gets also partially into. We keep bringing up Giallo, and um, Giallo is a, a specifically like Italian genre that began mm-hmm. as like pulp paperbacks and then moved yeah. into film, and it was all about like usually like foreigners in a strange place. Um, Detectives always. Yeah. It's like a detective story. And then like, there's like some black gloved murderer who's just taking people (laughs) out. And it's always in like very overwrought kind of Gothic ways. And it's, 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 it's insanity. Um, And so he, you know, he's been working within that vein and then he makes this and it really does feel like he, he knows what he's doing. Like, Mm-hmm. you know there's there's a certain it's it's one of those things like we talked about apostle and we just basically mm-hmm. spent so long like tearing that movie apart but it's like you can't operate with the trappings of realism and especially like you know not just aesthetic but psychological realism and all this other yeah. stuff and like give all this backstory and make no goddamn sense mm-hmm. but you know this That's movie totally fair. with its garish colors and it's like clear arch acting and just everything about it like yeah and it's soundtrack like, yeah yeah just in in your face like it's like cohesive yes right. yeah it is a cohesive it's all of a piece. It's all of a piece. vision of madness really <laughs> and so yeah i mean like it's it is it is intended to be as it is like i don't think this isn't like a plan nine from outer space type of situation like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you love this movie for its insanity you were loving it, I believe, in the way that it was intended to be loved. Sure. I think it's interesting, too, when you when you listen to some interviews with Argento and when he's, you know, it, it's kind of funny because he's almost flummoxed with, with its legacy and how it's become, you know, the best known of his, of his films. But even when people kind of ask about the vision of this to, you know, him and his, and his uh, co-writer, uh, Daria Nicoldi, or 
uh, however you pronounce her name, um, he's, he speaks about it way more in like terms of visuals and, and in terms of like aesthetic ideas. Like he talks about how he, the, the reason that they shot in that three color, uh, that, uh, sorry, three, three strip technicolor, uh, was to evoke something like a snow white. Cause he was worried that if they didn't have a sense of color, that it would feel like a uh, a cutout of a cartoon, or, or he talks about how German expressionism, like um, and, and things like the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, were like prime influences for the vision. Huh. So I, I think there's something. I, I, I absolutely agree with Brian that Apostle was a really good contrast in the sense that like that was something that wanted to have this trance-like quality, but also very much, you know, it's, it's impecu- or sorry, it's peculiarities um, seemed like they were not in line with everything else where, yeah. where again, like this is a, a vision of madness, but it seems like even in terms of how it was made, there's a certain, it's not madness, but there was, there is ultimately like a pragmatism to how they did these, uh, to how they did this, like the story they wrote, the visuals they had, you know, they were, <laughs> they're grotesque but there's ultimately something i I guess which i was going i am finding a way to go back to what i was saying earlier is there's something ultimately like very um you know uh linear and, and like straightforward about how this film not necessarily moves but at least how the narrative like evolves like as i'm saying like even when it goes into tangents like the the blind man who is you know, killed by his own dog. I had totally forgotten, by the way, how long that sequence is. And it's just wonderful. God, yeah. But um, so long. Bill, I have a question. Like, were you, you know, cause I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, Oh my God, the colors, the, the archness, the nonsense. And so like, were you, when you were watching this, were you like scared? No, I was, I was never, I was never really scared. I think, I think part of it is just simply the, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I watched it in the middle of the day, and I I definitely watched it with like the like the lights on and stuff like that. So you know, I didn't exactly set the stage to be scared. Um, but this is not a film to me that is necessarily scary in the traditional sense. It's not trying to like like. S- it builds tension through it's just eeriness. I think more than anything like the music and the way the characters act and the things that they do where they go down hallways where there's like no obvious escape except the end of the hallway. And you're just like, don't can you, can we do this tomorrow? Like, can you have a flashlight? Can you, can you just like say, okay, I found the secret entry. Now let me go back and like sleep on this and like think about like a plan. Like maybe I should tell somebody, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where like these people just do this shit and, and like, I don't know the the way that like certain camera angles happen to be used, like when they're uh, swimming and you're just like getting views of them from like way, way, way high. And you're just like, what the fuck kind of camera angle is this? Like, this is weird. And so like, it just builds, 
like this weird sense of you almost being like a voyeur of like all of this insanity that's going on. Um, and so I, I think that's what it's really like keyed in on is, and especially with like that music, like the music is just, it just sends chills down your spine because every time it starts up, you're just like, Oh my God. Like, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to call it annoying because it's not annoying, but you just want it to stop because it repeats so many motifs over and over and over that by the time like it starts towards the end of the film, you're just like, Oh my God, this music again. Like it's, it's, it's just like following you throughout this entire film and its characters and stuff like that as they're slowly like finding more and more madness. So I think it's, it's, insanely clever in the way that it's kind of like doing that where you know you think of like a john williams score you think of like something else like that where you know they they have like legendary like just kind of like tunes but those are usually like just small little nuggets of like the whole but the whole is always like different and it's like various and it's um, you know, some of it is light, some of it is dark, some of it is fast, some of it is slow. And like this goblin score is pretty much like, I don't want to say it's like the exact same thing over and over and over, but it's very, very similar to the point where you're just like, am I going insane? Like, are they just, <laughs> are they completely like just repeating the same, like, like, you know, 30 second bit over and over and over. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it's just like all of it just kind of builds and it just drives you insane. Like, like the characters don't act normal and like, nobody nobody seems to give a fuck that people are dying left and right and it's just like no it's i don't know oh it's it's i don't know man i almost like this is one of those movies that like when people always ask like what's a movie that you wish you could watch for the first time again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i just every now and then i'm like oh you know like i guess you know the sixth sense would be cool because like Mm -hmm, the first mm -hmm. time i saw it i'd actually already had the twist spoiled for me but i still really liked it um you know like the usual suspects was really good um you know maybe the dark knight or something but then i'm like oh you know what would be great suspiria (laughs) just just Mm -hmm. to like have Mm -hmm. that especially because now i'm like more film literate i guess would be the way to put it sure you know so i wonder if i would be less Like there'd be less what the fucking from me and more. Oh, wow. This is really interesting. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, like the um, I don't know, like the score from Goblin is just like nearly omnipresent. And. And and I couldn't ever tell if it was if it was uh, what y'all call it, didactic, right? Oh, diegetic. Like, diegetic because at times like it seems like people are aware of like eerie sounds and stuff like that and you're like the only eerie sound i hear is the fucking score like i can't hear anything else it's it's, so it's like it's almost like a chorus too because again like someone's playing in the background right now i'm playing in the background right now um (laughs) no but i'm going crazy (laughs) 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 yeah now that i've seen this movie i like i'm gonna be basically listening to this nonstop the entire time um what was i gonna say it's called a bazooki by the way that 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 kind of chiming uh, string instrument they're using. Oh no, I did not know that. 
yeah, I, I looked <laughs> I looked it up afterwards, and it's yeah, I it, it's crazy. Apparently, Argento was just in you know he's Italian and he was in Greece just for. Uh, I think location scouting for a film or something and he ended up at a bar and heard people playing the bazooki <laughs> and he's like and he had already been in talk with Goblin to do the Suspiria score and he's like can you add bazooki to it? <laughs> well it's like um was, and they were like, Hell who, yeah. who was it? It was Carol Reed on in The Third Man who like heard a zither at a party and was like oh my god oh, really? <laughs> like that thing is crazy I love it um that might be my favorite score of all time, actually. The third man. That is a very good score. Um, I think I might still have to go with Suspiria, in all honesty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't it, What was I going to say? Um, relating to Bill's uh, statements about, like, the score and everything. There, especially because, like, there's a point where, I guess when she gets hexed to make her, like, fall down by, like, the weird sort of a groundskeeper woman... She, like she gets like a crystal and deflects light into Susie Banyan's yeah. eyes, and as it happens, the the you know goblin just screams witch, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's like they're they're like a weird angel chorus that is observing everything and just like projecting like said, their it, feelings. It kind of goes back to the like that voyeuristic kind of feel to it because you're just like. Like you're almost watching like someone's like home video that they just like added like just crazy sound sound <laughs> effects and, and like music to like like isn't this creepy and you're just like no fucking cut it out quit quit playing that fucking thing <laughs> and it's a way that we don't it's a way that we don't quite score movies anymore um it it's very like almost like overbearing and like you know like oh this I, would not pass any studio system no. like like you, absolutely fucking not if you think no. about it like i mean even like we don't really get scores even like the psycho score anymore like where it's like okay now is the time for the thing to happen and we're gonna have not just like a loud bang to like get a jump scare but like very like intense guiding music that's gonna be like Hey, shit's fucked up now, and it's gonna stay that way for a bit. You know, like I don't know. Colin Stetson's hereditary score seems to fall into that category for me. Hmm. Maybe. I mean, some some <laughs> Paul, No, I just some I, Paul, it's, uh, Thomas Anderson films are kind of like that, where where the score is just obvious. Yeah, and so like, but. Like to this level, no, absolutely. Yeah, not. this I is much I more dramatic. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard a score this, this like overbearing and just in your face. And, and honestly, Anderson is one of the few people that that actually does that. Um, he, a lot of his films have that kind of that kind of uh, playing with it where the score is very like overbearing and it's like turned up a a few tunes louder than like most where like most of it is usually like background music and his is just like, Oh, you want to hear that dialogue? Nah, no, you don't (laughs) (laughs) just like, Whoa, okay. All right, man, you're crazy. I was actually, I was, I watched Dunkirk. My mother was up um, this past week and we watched Dunkirk together and Dunkirk has a little bit of that. Um, well, it has that with the sound effects, just in general. Yeah, it has that with the sound effects. <laughs> yeah. But then, then the score definitely also like will kick in sometimes. Like when shit's going real bad, like um, 
when they're cross-cutting between the guys in the boat that are drowning and the guy in the plane that's drowning. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely got, like, that kind of weird rising, like, it, you know, the, the well, music in that movie. That with, like, Interstellar, too. Yeah. And this, then, yeah. you know, Dunkirk just takes it to the next level. But, it, it like, the, the music in Dunkirk, I wouldn't say it's anachronistic, but it's definitely not of the time. But it seems even, it seems, like, pronounced in its anachronistic kind of nature most during those scenes where it's like just working on your nerves and and i i can value a movie that foregoes a score in order to let the characters kind of speak for themselves but i i I also really love a movie like this or like dunkirk or like psycho or jaws that just like is kind of like very open about what it's trying to do to you like you know, I find soundtracks in like a Nicholas Sparks type of thing. Like the score in a Nicholas Sparks movie, if it gets like too treacly, kind of annoys the shit out of me. Because like I, I want to like feel the way I feel about a character or relationship because of how it's written, not because of the way that the score is. Um, but there are certain movies, you know, like ones by Darren Aronofsky, Suspiria, obviously, where like I kind of love how the score acts as like a guiding force in a character. And it's almost like it's giving you permission to Mm. feel the way that you're feeling, you know, like like Suspiria. Yeah, Because like, like this, this score for sure is basically like, no, we're, we're in on it. Yeah. You're you're not crazy. It is that weird. (laughs) Yeah. My score is my, my score literally says, which at some point, like, like, come on, like we're in on this, you know? And, and so, so yeah, I, I definitely think like there's, there's certain filmmakers that, that, it kind of break the, the, uh, show don't tell rule. Right. But when they are really good and really on their game, it's just like voiceover. It's just like a lot of these things where they're like, like, you know, the, the forbidden things that you're not supposed to do in screenplays or direction and everything like that. You give it to a master filmmaker, someone that's really on top of their game and really like given free reign to, to hone in and, and tell the story well. And, all of that shit just falls by the wayside because it doesn't matter anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think definitely this, this film follows, falls into that category where it's like, no, we're, we're going to have fun. This, this is going to be a crazy ass ride. And here's the score right from the start. Like she's just getting off of a plane. Like, right. And like and, I said, when it's sudden, on like, her, it's, it's silent. S- and then when it goes storm. to the doors, it's like, yeah, it's awesome. And like I was reading a I read a I read an interview with um S Craig Zoller that he did um at the London premiere uh, the London Film Festival premiere of um Dragged Across Concrete. And they were um mm-hmm. you know they were talking to him about like the characters in the movie and how racist they were and everything and he said like you know if you'll notice like in this movie in particular I had no score. Like you know there would be songs and stuff but like I during most scenes I left it completely scoreless because I don't want you to know how I feel about these characters or how I want you to feel about these characters. I want you to have a relationship with them in order to like find it on your own. And you need to do that without 
you know, like an organ playing whenever, you know, two racist cops saying something racist happens. Cause like, then it's like obviously bad. Um, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. It, and and I value that. That is, that is a good thing to have. Like, you know, as much as I, as much as I like say that I like, we bought a zoo when that, um, when that Seeger Rose song comes on at the end, it's, it's like being drowned in like honey and confetti. It's just like, it's too much almost. And I don't find that to be the case with, with movies like this, where, where again, it almost seems to be giving you permission or like letting you know that yes, this is outside of the norm, but that's how it's supposed to be. And so like, if you can't use reality and your sense of logic as a guiding light, let this music tell you you're totally right to feel like this is a strange fever dream fairy tale. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And like you know, God bless it. It's a great fucking soundtrack. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. God damn. What a fucking. Spiria. What a fucking. God. <laughs> who, who the who the fuck is Goblin, and why are they so fucked up? Like, what? Who? How how long were they making music before like they came upon this project? The prog band. Yeah. It's like rock. they they had other albums, and yeah. I, I mean, I I feel like there's there's a, a lot of conversations we could have about horror music's or excuse me horror movies relationship with the avant garde and like mm-hmm. you know there's even so many projects I, I was actually just reading earlier today about how uh, Hellraiser used to have a, a score by Coil who's a an industrial band from the 80s and I was listening to a segment of that and like it, it it's just like Bill, I, I think there's a lot of t- to what you're saying that I'm not sure that a a, a, stu- a studio would accept a score like this. But I, I think that there is certainly like a long and like pretty surprising history with a lot of horror films being uh, matched with like avant-garde soundtracks. Again, well, like, I'm not um, trying to take Tangerine Dream is is sure like a, a, a thing about that. Like a Sorcerer, Near Dark, yeah. as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch. Wait, I'm not S- Sorcerer, uh, the, um, Freakin'. God. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, I just watched that film. Oh, isn't um, that great? Yeah. There's fucking <laughs> Jesus. What a nightmare movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but so Tangerine dream did, did all of that soundtrack. Yeah. They, uh, they did the yeah. score. Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, this was Tangerine dreams first uh, Hollywood film score and led to their mm-hmm. popularity as soundtrack composers. They, they did that. And then, uh, shit, what's that time? Risky business. They did. Beef. Um, yeah. I, yeah. There's a bunch of others like, and then the Papo Voy, uh, uh, who is another kind of prog band, like that's kind of from a similar, similar kind of era as Goblin. Like, did a lot of Herzog films, but he also they also did like his Nosferatu, I believe. Like, I, you know, there's like a really interesting. And then you got like, you know, a really interesting history there. And then you got Prestige Lynch as well. <laughs> I was gonna say Prestige filmmakers are snapping up members of Radiohead as fast as they can mm-hmm. to score yeah, their Tom things. Tom York and Tom York, like Johnny that. Greenwood. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, and you know Atticus Ross and and uh, Trent Reznor and yeah. you know his relationship with with Fincher and all of that shit and you know it, I think I think increasingly 
it's interesting that some modern filmmakers are going away from the traditional composers and and finding people that that will kind of in some ways meet them in the middle you know like like yeah. when daft punk was was assigned to do tron like a lot of people were like what the fuck is that even gonna sound like like yeah, is it just gonna be pop music throughout Kaczynski has did that with um he did it with tron legacy and then he did it with um oblivion yeah that was the one with a m83 mm-hmm. and oblivion yeah 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 yeah, and and you know he was smart enough to put, uh, and I'm not honestly I'm not sure how that collaboration worked, but uh, jo- Joseph Trapanese or Trapanese, whatever his name is, he was the co-composer with with Daft Punk on Legacy, and so I think if you kind of follow his lineage, he has a little bit more background in some of that stuff. And so he was able more than likely to kind of help them along and like, Hey, here's, here's what we should be doing here. Here's what we should be doing here. And kind of giving them like an insider's kind of uh, guideline on like what they should be doing and stuff like that. And not to say that they don't break those rules and stuff like that, but like there are very much like composerly things throughout that film, you know, where it's not just Daft Punk music. It's like, yeah. it's like, Oh, it's like, Whoa, they actually like composed with somebody, you know? So yeah, I think, I think it it is interesting though that like there's an increasing amount of that happening and i'm not sure like whether that's somewhat the musicians like relenting to that those kind of offers and maybe having grown up with like incredibly famous scores and soundtracks they want to kind of add their name to that kind of legacy or if like filmmakers are just like I just want to work with badass like musicians and like, let me just go find the most talented person I can. And so for like Kaczynski, it was like, let me do Daft Punk. Like, why not? <laughs> you know, they, they got robot masks. Like sure, sure. They love Tron. And of course, like turns out, yes, they do. So <laughs> that works out. How could they know? not? Yeah. I, um, I gotta say, you know, another thing about, you know, music like this, and especially, you know, because as I, as I talked about uh, movies that kind of like give you permission with their music, I, I feel like maybe part of it's like, like, I, I just have this image of like sitting in a theater when Jaws attacks and just like, you know, that, that, that deep string music, like making you feel okay to like shout, which is the only like release that allows you to like stay in your seat. Mm-hmm. And I wonder like if there is like, you know, this is such a weird thing to bring up, but I wonder if like subconsciously there's some like idea in a director or composer's head where it's like, we've got to mask the shrieks of terror, you know, like we have to give people cover under which to be able to like really Mm. freak out right now. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. We we can't have like just dead air space because then people are going to be really self-conscious about the way they react to certain things and stuff like that, which is always like funny because then you start thinking about like stingers and stuff like that. And like, and like why there's like a a high pitched like squeal accompanying most of those things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, it's, it kind of helps you be, loud along with the film in some way 
you know, it gives you, like I said, it gives you that kind of permission. Um, like, you know, which is, which is one of the reasons why like a quiet place actually needs music. But like, I can, uh, I can say like with honesty, like it would be interesting if that film score was as quiet as the film world. Right. Yeah. That it, that and it's they do a good job of balancing it. But like, you know, like in the moments where they really want you to pay attention and they do pull the score down, that's when I could hear like the woman next to me weeping openly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, again, that was a very tense movie that some people in my theater had a lot of trouble handling. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, to pull us back to pull us back to Suspiria, like I, I just I, I've never seen this movie in a theater and I can't. I, just, I really want to. Oh, I yeah. want to so bad. Just like, you know, I want to be able to see the colors and on that big aren't, screen aren't, and hear the Goblin soundtrack. Don't doesn't like isn't Goblin Goblin still around or like some iteration? Yeah. I know I know a lot of prog rock bands like go through like multiple members and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's always like they're like omnipresent in some way, but, um, don't they like, they've gone to like the Hollywood bowl and they've gone to like, uh, different like showcases over in LA. Haven't they? They, they tour other places as well. I, I, I have seen, yeah, I, I can't remember when it was, but they were definitely here in Chicago in the last five years. I would, I would kill someone close to me to be able to see Suspiria in 35 millimeter with live goblin accompaniment. Yeah, that sounds that sounds interesting. <laughs> that also feels like the type of thing that a witch would demand of me in order to make that happen is me murdering someone close to me. <laughs> mm. uh, Brian, you were a that little cat is is not that. long for this life. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I always figure like if I'm, you know, Michael, to your point, how quick I was to say that. I mean, um. You know, I figure that if I have to do something to, like, make something that seems impossible happen, it's going to at least involve killing someone. Like, <laughs> it's not just going to be, like, bury a potato in your backyard and say sure. this prayer, you know? It's going to be like, want to ah, live deliciously. fucking yeah. potato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took the old wives' tale on how to cure warts and turned it into me getting to see Suspiria in 35 millimeter. But yeah, you know, if I if I just, you know, had to murder, again, someone close to me and then, you know, a man in black would come. And say, do you wish to live deliver- de- 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 deliberately, deliciously, you know, the taste of butter, Suspiria mm. and 35 millimeter with live goblin accompaniment? Then I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Not, not to soundtrack too much, but uh, I uh, I was recently started watching the uh, the Sabrina. Uh, I don't know. The what, Chilling what, Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, what what do I call that? Like the reboot, the reimagining? I don't, I don't even reimagining. I would say the, the new, new adaptation. The new yes. Okay. There we go. The new adaptation of of Sabrina, and like through multiple people's voices, they say like delicious and like. Uh, like they, they use that kind of verbiage again and again. And I was just like, oh, I'm getting a very much like the, the bitch vibe right (laughs) now. Yes. (laughs) I um, am just like, did anyone, did anyone see the story that the, the church of Satan is trying to sue that show? Yeah. (laughs) Which is just like, come on guys. Like I don't take the church of Satan very seriously, but I think that one of their things would be like, don't copyright Baphomet and then try to fucking sue people for using him. 
Like, I've never heard of like a Christian church being like, oh, you know, we saw a crucifix in this movie that we don't agree with. Like, we have to sue them. They'll try to boycott you. They'll say that you're going to hell, but they're not going to bring John Law into it. Wait, that would be amazing if the Catholic Church tried to sue people. (laughs) By the way, we copyrighted the cross. (laughs) What was I going to say? And they bankrupt all the God's Not Dead films out of existence. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Uh, Let that happen. Um, There's a... Okay, we're really getting off track, but I don't care. Um, there's There's a podcast that I tried listening to called God Awful Movies. And it's um, a bunch of guys who review like Christian films and it was like, it was fine enough, but like part of me wished that like one of them was like an actual believer who also happened to like, like movies, you know, in the way that I am, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's, you know, it's very easy for a bunch of people who don't believe to like, just make fun of all this shit. But I think that like the intensity of the, like my violent hatred for those movies is in part because I believe in God and am a Catholic. And I feel like that's like a facet of indignation that is missing from that podcast. Um, now to pull it back more close to Suspiria Mm. or at least back to our last tangent, has anyone started watching the haunting of Hill house? I, um, it's on my list. My girlfriend cannot, watch that kind of show so i have to find time to watch it without her and i i I want her to watch it so but it's just like i just know that that's a losing battle like she's not going to be able to sit down and actually like endure that so i need to just bite bite the bullet and go (laughs) see it especially since i i love that director like flanagan and yeah and, and i I, I like like all of the people involved in it, whether it's uh, Carla Gugino and like all of these people. Like, man, Elizabeth like, Reeser. Yeah, it's it's got a hell of a cast. Like, yeah, I haven't this- started watching it yet, but I feel like I'm gonna because like mm. Facebook's been a Twitter about it, and Twitter's been a Facebook about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> got, got some tweet Facebooks. <laughs> Insta Insta <sighs> Insta Google tweet face. Yes. To to draw it back to triple nine. Um. Suspiria. Do we have any final thoughts on Suspiria? Uh, you know, we've kind of given a love fest. We've done a background of Argento, Giallo films, and uh, and other stuff. We already talked about how it ends with an explosion, which Bill confirms is a very satisfying explosion. Is is this your favorite Argento? I think for me it is. I think partially though that might just be because it was like my first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and also honestly. You know, my friendship with Rico was so weird. And and when I think back, <laughs> when I think back on him, he was such an intense young man. Um, and he, he, had, he had opinions and he was going to let you know. He was so passionate and so in love with like the things that he was in love with. In fact, after watching this movie, I tried to remember all the bands that he told me about that he also loved. And one of them is a Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum. What? I assume that neither of you has ever listened no, to this, right? I'm okay. not. I have not heard of them. They're uh, they're I have a band. Now. Yeah, I will never forget that name. I recommend. What yeah, genre are they? <laughs> I, you know, like folk metal. What? I don't know. I can't even really explain okay. it. You know, but if you have a moment, 
go listen to if, the if, um, if there's banjos and like double bass drums like oh my god now i wish <laughs> that i had the con bill i wish that really i had folk metal band <laughs> well hold on hold on a i don't know what you just said but it sounded like you named a band b did you just say that there is a folk metal genre oh yeah, yeah. what oh yeah <laughs> Okay. Okay, but so if you're at home and and you want to just hear some some stuff, uh, listen to the Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum, their album of natural history. Okay. You know, it's it's you're not going to hear much like it. Um that's the best I could say for it. One of the songs is uh called The Donkey-Headed Adversary of Humanity. Oh my god. And um it is a song now I'm wishing that I'd like you to sound, you sound like you love this band. <laughs> I, I go back and forth on that, it between that, like really thinking it's something weird been, and really thinking ahead. it's something weird. That, that song should have been playing during sorry to bother you. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I think gun days child is my favorite title. <laughs> Oh. All right. Well, you know, if if that if that band gets like a couple extra downloads, we'll know why. Um, but yeah, so like it, it's weird because like, again, Rico is like one of my first friends in Houston. And he's that kind of guy who like there was a part of me that was like, is being friends with him like actively harming my chances of being friends with other people, too? <laughs> but like, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't weird. He was just like super earnest and passionate. And so I was like, I don't care what the hell happens. Like me and Rico going to be friends until graduation. And we that, were. That's and- that's a that's a good mixture in a small amount of people. It's a bad mixture when you're in like a large group. And yeah, no, like I couldn't have handled sudden- like three Ricos. No, no, I mean, I mean more, more of like, if you're having like a conversation with that person, like that's fine. But if he's having a conversation in the middle of like a big group, that group is probably going to feel really awkward because that passion is like overbearing and people have to kind of like shut up and actually listen to someone talk about something like that when they're in like a group and it can be really weird. I I had an experience like that this, uh, this past weekend where someone was just talking a lot of shit about something and it was very awkward because they were just super passionate about it, but it was just like, Oh my God, like you're in public. Like you don't, you don't need to be talking this passionately about something like this right now. Like you can save this for like a, like a conversation with someone. (laughs) And like, it's almost, it's almost to the point, like, you know, where I just kind of want to, I want to look him up and I just want to see if he sees Luca Guadagnino Suspiria. And I, I, (laughs) I guarantee that conversation he would, he would react maybe with not the racism of, or like anything like that, but like with the passion of the people who think that like the last Jedi ruined star Wars, like part of me wonders if he would be that way about Guadagnino making Suspiria again. It's it's always, it's always funny because like when I think of like a, a film that I feel like I kind of discovered on my own without like a lot of hype and stuff like that. And that's like, let the right one in. And then I had to endure, let me in, but I was just like, I was fine with it because it's better. Whoa. Uh, a, And then B, like it's it doesn't matter 
because the original still exists. And like, I kind of always go back to like Stephen King's like famous phrase about like all of his adaptations where he's just like, did they, did they like make the book not exist? No. Okay. Well, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. like who, who cares? Like the book's still there. If you want to read the book, like go read the book. Yes. Yeah. So I'll, to, uh, to answer your question, this, this just because of like, you know, I'll, I'll just admit my biases and like the intangible logic of it. This is my favorite Argento. And I think that no matter how good the new Suspiria is, Mm-hmm. I will still prefer this one to it. So it's not going to be a question of which one is better. It's just going to be a question of, is the new one good as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, it'll be interesting to see what she does with this kind of material. And it's and a how concept. Much- I mean, like sure. I can totally see like a two and a half hour long, you know, richly done allegory about like post-war feminists, you know, nature, man's inhumanity to man, the power of like femininity throughout history. And that sounds fine, but I'm going to prefer to sit down with this craziness, this Mm -hmm. candy colored nightmare and like chill with it for an hour and a half, you know, like that's just, I just can't imagine any movie like that contains these same elements being more fun and more interesting than this one. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think you try and outdo this film. Like, I think that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I think, I think the only way you can do it is if you, if you zig where it zags, right? Yeah. You, you just try and make your own thing and, you know, maybe, maybe you pull some elements similarly, but you, you're going to have to kind of like wrestle this and, and make it your own. Because if you try and tread too closely, then you, you're just going to get bit. So Mike, what about you? I, I, again, I, I think it's just, uh, I, I, am trying to keep them, keep them somewhat separate. No, no, no. I mean, I meant, uh, favorite Argento. (laughs) Shit. Uh, that question from half an hour ago. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm out of it. It's, it's deep red. Uh, partly just because I, um, I, I like the ways. Do, do we want to plug uh, Filmstruck real quick? It, it, are any of these films on Filmstruck? I no, know we're sponsored Deep Red's by on Prime. <laughs> I, I think Deep Red, Phenomena, and Opera might all be on Prime right now. And I know Shutter has uh, almost all of them. Actually, uh, there's another. There's another earlier Argento on there. I I, I think I've said this before. I think Prime has the secret best catalog of any of the too bad it's ish yeah no it, it's you've got to know like it's on so there to many. find it oh yeah. for sure no it's not like easy to find but like then you find stuff and you're like wait this is on here <laughs> like there's been so many times you know and i can only watch death spa on <laughs> prime so <laughs> You know, I or chopping mall. Like, you know, the, there's like the amount of great B movies I've found on there is is just ridiculous. But yeah, sorry, going back to Deep Red. Um, I think Deep Red is just I, I I like it more because specifically it's more psychological. It, it's more about this idea of whether there isn't something insane or whether it's something supernatural involved, and it doesn't really ever resolve the question completely which is just more personally to my 
taste. I, I, I love that ambiguity of not quite understanding what's going on. <laughs> I can't. What's the what's the Argento film when someone who is like made sick by art is trapped in a museum? That sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. I'm not sure. I can't even remember the name of the um like the psychosomatic illness that this person has. That's an interesting one. If only because it's like it it takes this weird disorder that you know, like four people in history have had and applies it to a horror movie. Is it the Stendhal syndrome? Oh yeah. 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 yeah is it literally I, I, called I the Stendhal syndrome? Some... That's the name of the it film. Is, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Is that actually the, the disorder I assume then? Yeah. I believe that that is literally the, uh, the disorder. Um, victims suffer seizures and hallucinations when exposed to art. Yeah. Oh, that's cool as hell. Okay. It's uh, it's, it's so I have uh, I have like this weird thing about like this subgenre of movies that like go through weird disorders. Um, for instance, Enduring Love, the In McEwen adaptation, um, by Roger Michelle, is about a guy with um Deschamps syndrome, I think, which is where you think someone is in love with you, and literally everything that they do is a secret message to them telling them to keep pursuing you no matter how much you actually tell them to like go away. What? Yeah. It's super (laughs) fucked up. It's so good. That's a good premise. (laughs) Oh, if you haven't seen, if you haven't read or seen enduring love, um, I, I suggest it. Uh, Roger Michelle directed the movie and it stars Daniel Craig, Reese Iffens and, uh, Sarah Morton. Samantha Morton. Yes, Samantha Moore. Oh, my bad. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, name that. Name that film again. Enduring Love. You know, I've seen this cover before, and I never realized that's what this is about. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, it's all about like you know religious erotomania, and uh, I think that I'm pronouncing that right. But anyway, what was I going to say? I think we're done. <laughs> yes. We started like going down the rabbit hole of recommending other movies, so. Yeah, it's uh like this weird weird Halloween recommendations. Just like this is some fucked sure. up shit. It's um, we, we could do that too. <laughs> it's Declaren Balls syndrome. It's a, a form of erotomania. Oh, okay, okay. The the enduring love one. Okay, yes. Um, it's, uh, yeah, if you ever just want to just go on the Wikipedia page, I was about to start explaining it, but it's too cool. And I would be lost. Like I started talking about the flat earth again. Um, so let's, 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 uh, let's wrap it up. Our next film is going to be Suspiria, the two eighteen. I think it's going to be wide enough that we'll all be able to see it. Um, so look forward to that. Also, yeah. don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. You can see Kill List and The uh, the Wolf House, which sounds just fucking awesome. <laughs> and, um, of course, give to our Patreon, patreon.com slash show. And that is it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Let's uh let's uh let's tell you where we can be found between now and the next time. Bill Graham. You can find me avoiding that goblin score as much as I can uh on Twitter at cablebfg and then uh also on the Slack channel. 
All right. Michael Snydell. You can find me no. on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter doing the scariest possible thing, uh, researching who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> I was about to say having um, a political opinion. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you can follow me on letterbox. I did not at all finish Hooptober, but I also saw, left. <laughs> I saw 15 movies at the Chicago international film festival, which you can hear. I, I, this is the last time I will plug it. I promise you can hear a two part episode with me and Max O'Connell. We each talked uh, again, uh, we talked about nearly 30 movies over nearly three hours of conversation. It was uh, it was a really good time. I some of the things are even coming out really soon, like Happy as Lazaro and El Hanhel and other things. So please listen to it. So I get to do it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you can find me at my personal site, brianjrowan.com and dearfilm.net. Uh, find me on Twitter, where I will, uh, I don't know, I'll be doing something stupid on Twitter, probably. Everything you do on Twitter is stupid. Uh, at Brian J. Rowan. And of course, you can find all the episodes of this show, as well as the B-side and Michael Snydell's dispatches from SIF at thefilmstage.com. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. I'm jamming over here. <laughs>